welcome to Focused on Life, where we'll be laser focused on all things that have to do with defending human dignity, human rights, and yes, human life at every stage and phase of development. I am your host, Uju. And I am your other host, Matt. And we are thrilled to be here today. Hello, Matt. Hi, Uju. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Matt, but actually I've had some challenges in recent times, and this is probably an explanation to why we have not uploaded an episode. Um, I did lose my voice just from talk, 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 <laughs> and so I couldn't record an episode. I couldn't be available to record an episode. We had a huge family gathering out in London. My mom had her 8th birthday party, and as God will have it, we had lots and lots of family members and friends gathered together in London to celebrate her at 80. So I was there talking, talking, talking for about three days. And of course, by the end of it, I had no voice to record an episode of our podcast. So That's right. That's right. You did call me, uh, uh, you know, and then you said, uh, Matt, I don't think I can do this. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and you know. I actually happen to be sick as well uh, yeah. for those few days. So it's not really that uh, fun and exciting of an excuse. But mm. uh, but Uju, when you said you had a you had a large family gathering, you know, for most people, that's like 20 people, maybe 25 <laughs> people in a house. How many people were at your mom's birthday bash? We had about 200 guests. <laughs> and that's because we didn't do it in Nigeria. We did it in London. So our guests list was about 200 people long. And then our own family members that gathered from different places, different countries, uh, were maybe 30 to 40 people. And this would be children and teenagers and, and adults, my aunties, my cousins, their spouses. You know, it was really, really amazing. My own parents, of course, my siblings with their spouses and um, nieces and nephews. I mean, we were all together. So they had lots and lots of chats, lots of talks, lots of uh, catching up to do with, with all these lovely family members. So it was great though. My mom was, of course, in high spirits. My mom recently became a great grandmother. So it was really wonderful to watch her and my dad just bask in the in the family glory, in the glory of of like family love. So it was it was wonderful. And and I did see some of the footage and it wasn't just talking. There was also a lot of partying and dancing. Oh yes. <laughs> You can't what? have a, a Nigerian party without without lots of dancing and booging. It was really nice. It was really, really nice. That's uh, what a blessing. What a blessing. <laughs> please, please say a big happy birthday to your mom, a belated yeah, happy birthday. You. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, it, it's it's just life is so beautiful. When you see you have your parents, uh, she just turned 80, mm -hmm. uh, your mom and your dad, and these two people, these two individuals. Yeah. And because of these two individuals, you have generations and generations of yeah. other amazing human beings. Uh, what a blessing. Thank you. Thank you, man. No, yeah, you commented on that when I, I sent you one of the videos. It was like, oh, from your mom and dad, all these people came. Yes. <laughs> so we do have a, a wonderful large family. And I'm just so grateful to, to be able to stand in the midst of that and watch everyone do well and thrive and and just be happy and you know and love one another so it's just wonderful <laughs> that is that is and that's really what the pro-life movement is all about we want Indeed. everyone to have that type of shot at life you know to Isn't be able it? to enjoy the gift of life and we want everyone yes. as many people uh every single life uh conceived is a gift from god and i think we just need to let that life live 
Yes, it's a community of love. It's not just, oh, you know, let's let's not have too many because, you know, increase in population. But for us, pro-life people, we're looking around and we're saying, oh, my goodness, this is our community. This is our community of love. So I did get to, ex I, I got to experience that like this uh, past few days um, in as much as I came out of it with my voice already gone. And <laughs> but now I'm I'm fully back. You now know. You're, you're back and we're back <laughs> recording. Uh... Yes. Another episode, another, another episode, episode of Focused on Life. Yes. And uh, I think this one is, uh, we're going to tackle a certain issue that you and I have come across uh, for most of our years at the UN. That's uh, right. I believe the first, you know, uh, the first time I went to the UN, uh, or the first time when we met each other at the UN, mm -hmm. this was a huge topic. And yes. um, do you want me to introduce it or do you want to introduce it? Would you? Go ahead, Matt. Go ahead. I, I want you to introduce it. So when we were first there, the one, the number one thing I heard throughout mm -hmm. this, uh, I believe this was uh, the Commission on Population and Development, I think, or maybe it was. the. That's the, right. The, yeah. I met yeah. you at a CDF. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And uh, it was everyone, all they could say and all they were saying and talking about was this slogan unsafe abortion is the leading cause of maternal mortality do you remember that it was all Absolutely. about we need to have abortion because without abortion moms and women will die and mm -hmm. i just thought to myself what are they talking about it's a complete <laughs> it's completely the it's inverted the reality is completely inverted absolute rubbish matt absolute rubbish and i mean like it's quite uh, uh, I'd say, if I can say, it's quite a diabolical thing to go out and talk about something like abortion, like why we should get abortion and get quote unquote safe abortion. Because if we got it, oh, women will then stop dying in pregnancy. You know, they're using this one horrific thing to, um, as a, it's almost like as they're proffering it as a solution to this one problem that many, many developing countries have. And, you know, a lot of us are still scratching our heads thinking, how can we get to protect women or keep women safer during the period of pregnancy? And these people are coming from the UN crowds uh, and all saying to us, well, if you want, if you want to solve this problem, um, let's tell you what you're going to do legalize abortion and, and make it safe, quote unquote. So um, I, I just want us to delve into it, maternal mortality, maternal health. Let's discuss it. Let's introduce it first to our listeners and, and get people thinking about this issue in a, you know, in a broader sense. And even if you come from a developed country and it doesn't really come into your day-to-day, -day, you know, concerns, it's something that is globally it is a huge problem and i think by the end of this episode you will understand why you will have more statistics you will have a lot more information and you can go out and speak on it uh like a pro <laughs> like a pro that's right and uh and i think you know we have a bit of experience in this department right Uju? Sure. i mean you For wrote sure. a book you did a whole documentary <laughs> on uh yeah. not not a maternal uh health per se but it, you definitely touched upon this definitely yes but we also, uh, the first event we ever organized at the UN uh, yeah. was on maternal health in Africa, That's right. on the African yeah. continent. Mm -hmm. And we brought together, uh, well, you were one of the panelists. And then we also yeah. had another wonderful panelist, Dr. Robert Wally. He passed away uh, just a few years ago now. A few now. years ago, yeah. yeah. But he was um, a champion of life. Mm -hmm. And uh, he founded the organization called Matter Care International, yeah. where they 
literally their job is to save women and their babies to do everything they can in very remote rural areas throughout That's the right. continent in yeah. trying to ensure the best possible outcome for both mother and Mom child. and baby. That's right. And uh, so we had them and uh, we had Dr. Wally, you had yourself. And um, it was such a fascinating event mm. because all we did, all you guys really did was just share your, share the facts, share the data, share yeah. stories yeah. of what the situation is like on the ground, what the solutions are. Yeah. And yet at this event, uh, which was packed, packed conference room, yeah, we had about 400 people. I yeah, think. yeah. We Four still had people. We still had pro-abortion activists who refused to accept the solution that we were offering, which is if you want to save mothers, mm. we need to provide them with the basic, basic, genuine health care yeah. that people in the West have been, you know, enjoying for the last 50 years. And for That's some right. reason, many places in the world still don't have access to water to basic yeah. medicine, to basic, yeah. you know, access to a nurse, to a hospital, That's to right. a medical facility, right? Mm -hmm. And yet uh, we were offering them these solutions and yet they said, no, 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 that's not, that's not the solution. The solution is we must legalize abortion. Yeah. Oh, well, but I mean, this is, this is something that we have seen at different places. We saw it at the UN when the, when we did the event, we also saw it when we, um, had the breakfast event site well the breakfast event at the Canadian Parliament which was exactly the same topic that I had gone there to present it was campaign life coalition as well who had organized this event so thanks to your organization <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for doing a whole event at the Canadian Parliament trying to to bring this um you know this to the to the attention of the Canadian members of Parliament just like I mentioned earlier talking about maternal health maternal mortality in a developed country or the wealthy country, sometimes it falls on deaf ears because it's something that doesn't really bother people that much. Since in these wealthier countries, it's not such a huge concern. So what I would like to do now, Matt, is just to give a bit of a basic understanding because you've already kind of gone and alluded to some of the basic things that people need um, to to stem this problem or to kind of help to solve this problem but some people simply because they don't work in in these domains don't even have a good idea of what one means when we talk about maternal mortality so maternal mortality um is sort of a measurement or a metric that is used in measuring um the the well-being of women within the first year of pregnancy so the death that is linked to pregnancy up until birth and beyond a little bit beyond beyond the birth of the child so um that a woman could give birth to a baby and still die you know five weeks later eight weeks later ten weeks later that still adds to maternal mortality and still still kind of affects the the outcome of maternal health um following following pregnancy a woman could die before birth that is also if it's linked to pregnancy that would also go to to this particular statistics and just one general statistic that i think people should bear in mind even if they don't they, they don't take anything else is that each year almost 300,000 women die as a result of either pregnancy or given birth. So the, at the moment, I think the, the last statistics that I saw was from 2020, which is actually re in recent times. Um, 
more than 287,000 women um, died in relation to this particular issue. So maternal mortality is one thing that I think is of great interest globally. It's something that is very, very serious. If almost 300,000 women are dying each year due to this particular issue. And of those uh, numbers, about 90% or more of these numbers come from the developing world. So poorer countries, third world countries, whatever you want to call them. This is something that where I come from, Nigeria, West Africa, from Africa, or any other developing country. It is a huge um, head scratcher. It's something that many people are thinking about, many people are talking about, many people are affected by it because even I myself, um, growing up, I do have a lot of people that I know personally who passed away because they were giving birth or linked to, to delivery or pregnancy. I had worked in a hospital at the university teaching hospital as well in Nigeria before I left the country and moved to the UK and also did experience a lot during that part of my career, just seeing women dying of things that could easily have been stopped or solved. So we're going to get into that in this particular episode. Yeah, well, I mean, I think uh, like we're already getting into it. <laughs> There's a lot. Uh, you're right. There are so many. It's such a tragedy, right? It's such a tragedy that yeah. in 2023, yeah, when we have uh, so much available to well, the, mo so many people in the world, in the West especially, have so they have access to healthcare, they have access yes. to nurses, they have access to nutrition, mm -hmm. water, um, and yet for some reason, uh that same access doesn't translate to people living in other parts of the world. And that's true. And I feel like from our experience at the UN, uh, like you mentioned, uh, almost 300,000 women die from, uh, from things that were caused during pregnancy or delivery. That's right. Yeah. And, and they die from things that could have been easily prevented that are prevented on a daily basis in the West. That's right. And the question is, why don't we then just use the funding, the aid that we have, <laughs> right and the resources that we have yeah. to ensure that all women uh, can have a good pregnancy and a yeah. safe delivery right why can't we do that instead of using those millions of dollars that we have mm -hmm. on promoting abortion yes that is the question that that is the i believe that is the biggest dilemma here that we're facing because the answer is it's, the solution is within reach and it yet is? and yet uh, many UN agencies, uh, many pro-abortion groups, and even many governments, including our own Canadian government, hmm. is is more focused on on ensuring that abortion is legalized in places where it remains illegal, yeah. rather than focusing on actually helping women deliver their babies and have you know the most positive outcome for both mother and child. And sorry. Now that you've talked about your, your country, I, I don't know if it's, I just want you to introduce a bit if you can, with just a bit of details with how your Canadian government, the government of Justin Trudeau, what they've done pertaining to maternal health globally. Well, I mean, I could say what, I can definitely say what they haven't done. <laughs> and <laughs> and so what really, what you're probably alluding to is, we, and we mentioned this a few epi episodes ago when we were speaking to our friend, uh, former ambassador, David Mulroney. Yeah. But we talked about the Muskoka Initiative, the maternal health care initiative that was launched under Stephen Harper uh, yeah. many years ago. And, and the fact that uh, at the time, the Canadian government 
launched this uh, highly successful maternal health campaign that saved yes. millions of lives. And, um, and it saved millions of lives because they said, we're not going to include any abortion funding in that commitment. And this Muskoka initiative, which was carried out throughout the world, had uh, very positive results. A lot of countries were praising the Canadian government from doing this, for focusing on really trying to help moms and, and their children. Yeah. Uh, and what ended up happening with Justin Trudeau when he was elected and, to, and he became the prime minister, uh, I think maybe it was within a year or within two years of his uh, uh, administration, he scrapped the Muskoka Initiative and then you know, brought abortion back into foreign aid. Yeah. And then ever since then, there's been a strong, strong push towards um, promoting abortion, funding abortion, yeah. uh, and, and allocating all those funds towards abortion and, you know, sexual and reproductive health and rights, this umbrella term for abortion on demand and contraception, rather than uh, prioritizing maternal health, which the previous government was doing. Now, this is the thing, though, you know, it's the fact that they took a, 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 a particular program that was working, that was in place, and they stripped it for what it was, that initially they didn't even completely remove the Moscow initiative. They weren't saying, oh, we're going to take this out and replace it with something else. They took it for what it was, and they began to empty it out and strip it completely from all the things that made it such a great initiative. Um, bringing in abortion, bringing in contraception as a requirement, bringing in, you know, all, all kinds of things that they began to allocate funding to. And I'm not saying to can the Canadian government don't spend where you want to spend. We're saying the fact that you would take limited resources and then begin to redirect resources that were formerly going to, for example, providing basic uh, needs like medicine, like, you know, water and and good health care you're now redirecting those limited funds to something like abortion that nobody asked you for that is what i find you know very much heartbreaking and th that is what the canadian government has has done a lot of and and we've seen them do over the years so this is the story of maternal health care you know as far as the international community is concerned but i also want us to touch on um like just a, a basic comparison of uh, countries where things, you know, the things that have worked and the things that haven't, the things that have actually brought in a real difference. So I have here this particular example that I have given at a number of uh, presentations that I have made, which include the presentation I made at the United Nations um, back in, I think, 2016, 2017, when we had that event, as well as when I went to speak at the breakfast event at the Canadian Parliament and other places. This is the example of what has happened in Egypt and Sierra Leone. This is the story, what I call the story of maternal health outcomes. So for those who don't know, the metric by which maternal mortality is measured is for every 100,000 live births, all right? So just for the lay person now, they're saying, but how is this even measured? Well, it's measured how many women die for every 100,000 live births. Now in Egypt, this number was 
hold on, I have it here in my notes. So I'll give the right, the absolute, absolute right number. So according to the statistics, uh, uh, the sources that I used, which was from the African Union uh, and some of their data collection, uh, there were 33,000, there were 33, sorry, there were 33 um, deaths per 100,000 live births in Egypt. And in the same year, I also went to check in that same year, the Egypt healthcare system was rated as number 63 in the world. And this is comparing 191 health systems in the world. So this is sort of a, a metric or, an, or, or a way of measuring how good or adequate the healthcare system is from one country to, the, to another. And 191 countries were, were assessed and Egypt fell in as number 63, which isn't bad for an African country. And in Egypt, looking at more statistics in the same year, there were about 28 physicians for every 10,000 people within the population and about 35 nurses for every 10,000 people within the population. So again, this is another metric of measuring how not just your, your, the adequacy of your healthcare system, but also within that healthcare system, how many doctors do you have taking care of this number of people? So in Egypt, there were about 28 physicians and 35 nurses taking care of 10,000 people. Again, not bad. And at the same time, Matt, in Egypt, there is very much highly restrictive abortion laws. So it wouldn't come at it as a surprise to anyone if I say that, um, that Egypt is one of the African countries actually where abortion remains illegal. And also not just that, they're very serious about keeping it quite restricted. So even in as much as the, the abortion laws are quite strict, um, but the maternal outcomes and the maternal mortality, the maternal outcomes remain very good and the maternal mortality remains low. So that is the story of Egypt. Now, on the other hand, you have the story of Sierra Leone, which at least as far back as, uh, as in recent times when I checked, um, Sierra Leone up until date is, is a country with about the highest maternal mortality rate. So whereas Egypt, you have 33 deaths per 100,000 live births, Sierra Leone at the same time has 1,360 deaths in 100,000 live births. I mean, this, this, the maternal mortality rate in Sierra Leone is so concerning that each time I look at it, I, I, I shudder and I wonder what the, the Sierra Leonean government is doing about it or or how how they whether they even know how much in danger women are because of the inadequacy of their healthcare system and at the same time when i went to look at how the healthcare system was rated remember egypt was rated number 63 in 191 it wouldn't come as a surprise when i say sierra leone rated at the same time country number 191 out of 191 that is the country with the poorest healthcare system as far as the rating goes. So is it any surprise that the country that rated the worst is at the same time having the highest maternal mortality rate? In this country, Sierra Leone, you have 0.2 physicians taking care of 10,000 people and you have only two nurses taking care of 10,000 people. I'll say this with all confidence. I have actually gone to Sierra Leone to do some pro-life work. I've traveled through the country of Sierra Leone, the four different corners of the country. And I would say that one thing that I 
tried to do was to ask people to take me to um, the different hospitals, you know. So I did drive, we did drive up to a number of hospitals on our travel through the country, doing some, some road travel through the country. And Matt, what I saw there was a shock to my system, being someone that works in the healthcare industry. Uh, these some of these hospitals are like the worst I have seen. And mind you, I come from from a country where already our healthcare system in Nigeria leaves a lot to be desired. But when I traveled through Sierra Leone, some of the health hospitals we went to, you wouldn't even know they were hospitals. I mean, they were all boarded up, and it was incredible to see. So in this country, Sierra Leone, with the inadequacy of the system, with the lack of uh, proper skilled, qualified medical personnel, with the poor rating of the healthcare system with the, also all the inadequacies going on in the country. It is not a surprise to see such incredibly, incredibly high maternal mortality rates, such horrible outcomes uh, for mothers and their babies during pregnancy. So in Sierra Leone as well, um, it's one of the African countries that is being most pressured at the moment to legalize abortion. In fact, for what I know, they are they have on several occasions been at the edge of legalizing abortion. In fact, at one point in time, a couple of years ago, they did pass an abortion bill successfully through the parliament. But as God will have it, the president at the time refused to 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 sign this into law. So of course that bill then expired. And I know that on several occasions as well, the international community has managed to push them right to the edge where their MPs. Uh, legalizing abortion or passing an abortion bill at parliament. And Matt, I know for sure this continues to be possible in a country like Sierra Leone because the international community will come from the US and the UK and, you know, wherever, Canada, and they're telling them, well, look at your numbers. 1,360 women, per, you know, die out of 100,000 live births. Surely you guys want to legalize abortion. So it, be it becomes a constant pressure point. And I am saying to people in Sierra Leone, turn around and look at Egypt, because Egypt does not have legal abortion as far as we know. They have very restrictive um, laws and attitudes towards abortion. And yet, look at Egypt and see what they're doing right. Surely you can see that Egypt has this advantage, and the advantage they have is not abortion. The, the advantage they have is that in among the African countries, they are one of the best rated in terms of the medical facilities, the, the medical staffing that they have, the qualified personnel that they have, the number or rate or proportion of births that are attended by skilled staff or skilled medical professionals. So they do have a lot of things right. And this is my advice to a lot of the developing countries that are struggling with maternal, you know, very high maternal deaths and maternal mortality rates is to look around and see who is doing what is what correctly because surely if you are doing and an imp implementing the correct um sort of practices and putting the best practices forward then women surely will be protected and i assure you abortion is not the best practice it is really not as far as medical is concerned it is not and cannot be put forward as best practices because even people who are coming from the west know that the advantages they have over the develop the developing countries and the poorer countries 
it's really not abortion. It's the fact that your hospitals are working and you have so many doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals taking care of the people within your population. It's the fact that people have the basic needs that they, that they require. The fact that women have access to prenatal care and postnatal care. And you have bl national blood services that would be working as it should be working. So it's something that I think it's worth talking about more and having people realize, surely we will not allow the abortion movement use this problem as a cover or as an excuse to push forward an abortion agenda. That's it. What else? What else can I add to that, Uju? <laughs> what else can I? You know what? What I think um, that's just extremely fascinating. Uh, it's fascinating to hear this again because I've heard I've heard this comparison before. But yes, it, you know it's. It's crazy that you brought this up many years ago mm -hmm. and with all the funding yeah. that has come out from the Canadian government over the last eight years, uh, why haven't they helped Sierra Leone with their infrastructure, yeah. with getting uh, better, uh, you know, training for doctors, nurses, mm. basic, you know, just the basic healthcare requirements that with those alone, you would cut maternal mortality in like by 80 percent right away that is true yeah i mean i, I kind of made up this number but it's it's by the ma majority of maternal mortality cases oh you will do. drop in fact i remember at the event we hosted at the un dr wally he actually said in response to someone who uh, was challenging the panelists on this issue he actually pointed out that 91 percent of all maternal deaths take place within the last three months of pregnancy and mm -hmm. following the birth of the child. By that time, abortion isn't even, like, it's not even an issue at that time. That right? is true. <laughs> and, yet, and yet people are still pushing abortion, abortion, abortion. That is a solution to ending maternal mortality, which is exactly what you said at the end, uh, uh, where you said they're using maternal mortality as a cover yes. to push abortion and legalize it. You know, um, this is something I said, I've said this before. I think I've written uh, 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 an article about this several years ago, uh, but I just pulled it up here and, and uh, I was quite proud of this line actually. <laughs> but <laughs> make I sure you, know, you post it though. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Make sure you post it in the show notes um, so people can we, read it as well. Uh, and uh, it's something that Campaign Life Coalition came out. Maybe it was in a press release or something. I'm not, uh, I don't remember, but it, it, essentially what we're, what we're trying to say is that every dollar that the Canadian government spends on abortion, on contraception, you know, on the sterilization of women mm -hmm. in the name of, you know, reducing maternal mortality through unsafe abortion, right? That's that's how they usually do it. But every dollar they spent on these things is a dollar denied to the provision of the real necessities of life and genuine, genuine health care, which that is, is true. nutrition, clean water, medicine, safe deliveries, proper infrastructures, proper buildings, just even access, right? I know Dr. Wally uh, mentioned about uh, the, the work that his organization is doing in Africa. Uh, the fact that they have like a Jeep, a vehicle yes, that they can take to remote parts in, in the remote, you know, rural villages yes. where they can go to the women and just drive them back so that they don't have to walk kilometers mm. and kilometers uh, while like delivering a baby, right? Or while yeah. you're in labor. In labor. In mm -hmm. labor. The fact that they could speed up that process, save the woman the pain, the suffering, and potentially the loss of her child and her own life. Oh, yes. All they needed was just that one Jeep, that one vehicle that was able to bring them from point A to point B 
have the safe delivery, take care of them, and then bring them back to their village. Yeah. That saved countless of lives. Yes. Right? That's all it takes. That is literally all it takes. But think of all the villages where Dr. Wally's organization has not been able to go to. And this is the thing, Matt. Exactly. You find the good organizations, um, the the good professionals, the good experts who have the the best intentions and they're putting forward the best practices like Dr. Wally of blessed memory, of course, who has now passed away. Um, but there's not that many of him. There's not that many of his organizations. So they're only able to be like in one region of a particular country at all times. But on the other hand, you have unlimited funds because, okay, let me st step back here. Dr. Wally's, the Dr. Wally's that we could have of the world, there's so few. Even though there are many doctors that have the same intention, that have the same drive, that, you know, young doctors that are coming up that can probably step into the same situation or into the same shoes of someone as great as Dr. Wally, but they're so defunded, you know, that they, they, they have such limited resources and almost no way to be able to fund such an organization as that, to be able to go out and, and help people in, in rural parts of Africa, in underserved regions in African countries or other uh, parts of the developing world, by the way. So there are places in Latin America, there are places in Southeast Asia that could that could use the help of some, you know, some good doctor who who has the idea to to go with the medical services to the women or go and transport women from point A to point B. But then very limited resources. But on the other hand, yeah, the governments are funding people who are going to go with mobile clinics to give women sterilization in the most rural parts of Africa. We That's have right. many, many jibs de dedicated to that. Marie yeah. Soaps International. <laughs> How many jibs do you think they have? MSI, Reproductive Choices, as they call themselves. International Parenthood Federation. How many jibs do you think they have? Those yeah. people have a lot more resources um, than, than anything on our side. And unfortunately, what they are doing is not directly impacting on the outcomes or the good outcomes, or they're not helping to improve the outcomes of uh, birth and delivery and pregnancy. All they're right. interested in, yeah, is just to end pregnancy. That's right. And in fact, Dr. Wally mentioned at that panel event uh, that not once did his organization get government funding. Right. Mm -hmm. He's, he applied. They applied several times. And this is even, you know, obviously during the Trudeau uh, uh, leadership uh, administration or dictatorship, <laughs> um, <laughs> it, there was no, no no funding was ever given to them. But even yeah. uh, even with Stephen Harper, the conservative government wow. at the time, they didn't give him any funding. Right. So, wow. you know, we talk about the Muskoka initiative being like a positive thing. Yeah. But, you know, even then, you know, Stephen Harper wasn't some sort you know, he wasn't pro-life at all. Right. He he was in support yeah. of abortion. He was consistent that he didn't want to bring in abortion, whether it's in, in Ottawa or he didn't want to talk about it overseas as well, which was kind of it kind of worked in our favor when it comes to the international scene. But at the same time, uh, organizations like Dr. Wally's did not get a penny of government funding for the amazing life saving work that they do. But like you said, Amnesty International, Mary Stopes, Planned Parenthood, all these organizations get millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. Um, and really, what, what is this about? This is, when we talked about this, you wrote a book about this. <laughs> this is really all about ideological colonization. It is. You're trying to colonize uh, through values, through ideologies, uh, by 
liberalizing abortion laws in countries where abortion remains illegal. And they're using this cover of maternal mortality, maternal health. We care about women. We want to save women. But really what they're doing is they're, I mean, they could say, you know, they're saying they want to save women. But at the same time, they're funding those very organizations whose job it is to kill children in the womb. Right. And, uh, you know, we've been we can go on for, you know, for hours about this issue. It's it's quite uh, uh, we're quite passionate about this particular issue. Um, but I do want to uh, I do want to share um, a clip from that first event we had several years ago, Uju. Yeah. Uh, in fact, that event was called Best Practices in Maternal Healthcare in Africa. And uh, after our panel discussion, there was a particular uh, Danish former member or former cabinet minister yeah. who wasn't too pleased with with what you had to say during your presentation, Uju. And <laughs> um, and she asked the question. And then you gave uh, a proper response, which I think uh, was just absolutely on point. Uh, So I think we should actually play that clip for our audience today. What do you think? Okay, let's go for it, Matt. Let's go for it. And and then I think it gives people an idea of exactly how uh, the the logic of these pro-abortion activists, how twisted it is and how they try to manipulate things and how they try to take good things and good causes yeah. and kind of twist them around to fit their own particular agenda in promoting abortion. Yeah. So here it is, folks. This is uh, from our event, Best Practices in Maternal Healthcare in Africa from a few years ago at the United Nations. Uh, enjoy. I guess I will start uh, over here uh, at the back. I think, I, I think she was the first one. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, now it works. My name is Mette Jasko. I am from uh, the Danish parliament. I'm a former minister. And um, first allow me to, to express my respect for all the work you do for, for women all over the world and, of course, Africa. Um, I was a bit provoked by the thought of new colonialism. Being from Europe, uh, of course, this hurts me. And so I would like to share a bit because I have been to Africa uh, and I know that there are different countries and I've been to Zimbabwe and Mali and Tunisia and uh, Tanzania and Kenya and Rwanda, a lot of African countries. And I've spoken to a lot of African women. And, and, and my lesson learned from being from a coloni- colonialistic uh, uh, society is do no harm allow people to make their own choices. And when I've been to Africa, I've spoken to a lot of women, and some women want this, and some women want that. But I think we should allow them to decide for themselves. And that that includes freely decide over their own body, their own sexuality, when and how many babies they want, if they want contraception, if they want abortion. We don't have to put it on anybody else. So, so if you want to make sure that you don't start a new colonization, make, let people make their own choices, decide over their own body. Thank you very much. I'd like to just address 
I'd like to address uh, the lady who had spoken, the Danish lady who had spoken about uh, comparing African women not having the right to choose what to do with her body and it being colonization. It's actually quite amazing how you were able to kind of twist that into shape, uh, to, to that thought. But I must say this to you. Um, I am from a tribe called the Igbo tribe in Nigeria. If I tried to translate in my native tongue what it means for a woman to choose what to do with her body, I couldn't. Most of the African native languages don't even have a way of phrasing abortion to mean anything good. Now, as, a com as communities of people and as societies, where it, it actually then becomes colonization, a neo-colonization is that people from the Western world come to Africa and try to give us these kinds of language that we could never translate into our native tongue. They tell us that it actually can mean something for a woman to do something with her body, which isn't really morally uh, bad. But anyway, the first thing that we have to think of and remember is that as communities, which was one thing I highlighted right at the beginning, culturally, most of the African communities actually believe by tradition, by their, their cultural standards, that abortion is a direct attack on human life. So for anybody to convince a woman that abortion is good, Sorry. So I'm sorry. So for anybody to be able to convince any woman in Africa that abortion is actually a good thing and can be a good thing, you first of all have to tell her that what her parents and her grandparents and her ancestors thought her what is actually wrong. You're going to have to tell her that they have always been wrong in their thinking. And that, madam, is colonization. We are, uh, excuse me. We are bound by our contract uh, with the uh, manage, uh, conference management of the UN that we must end at 6 o'clock because there is another event. I would like to give the last, uh, to Maria, the last word among the panelists, and then we will. Uh, I, I believe that Uju's last word was, uh, was absolutely um, um, Splendid. I really don't have anything to add to that. Thank you, Uju. Thank you, Dr. Wally, for everything that you do for mothers in Africa and their. Wow. Okay. Well, Uju, <laughs> that's uh, that was you uh, dropping the mic uh, at the United Nations uh, a few years ago. Uh, what are your thoughts, uh, lis uh, listening, and, and I guess we were watching on our end here uh, that video uh, after a few years now. I don't know when the last time yeah. you would have listened to yourself. Oh, it's been ages. I think, I, okay, I, okay. I'd say it's been ages I listened to it in that format because you know what, Matt? I just saw on Instagram, I think it was sometime last year, some people in Brazil had translated it into Portuguese. So I think I had to watch it again with me speaking Portuguese or it was dubbed or, or, <laughs> or subtitled or something like that. So it also kind of went viral out there and it was, it was just, you know, it was just for me that it resonated with people at the time. Of course, when I was responding, I was under a lot of pressure, knowing fully well what was at stake. The fact that this event, I don't know, we haven't actually quite mentioned it. Yes, this was 
our event that we planned, um, uh, but this was mainly hosted by the Holy See. So the That's Holy right. See and the nuncio of the Holy See to the United Nations at the time, who was Archbishop Awuza, was seated there at that panel. He chaired that panel, if I remember correctly. And I felt there was a lot of pressure on him as well, because this was a, a very full event. And the fact that the Holy See, as you can imagine, in as much as they stand for life and they're very clear on their stance on life and things like that. But he also he didn't want us to seem like confrontational or, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know he, he didn't want us to drop the mic on anybody. So this was, <laughs> this was one of the last things that I did on that day, because this was during the Q&A session. So I felt I have a, a little bit more freedom to answer the way that it deserved to be answered. So it, it was the fact that it resonated with a lot of people um, and I was making some genuine points so, uh, in the way that I know how. The fact that this woman was trying to use a kind of a reverse psychology on what I said. So I say something about colonialism and she tries to push it around and we hear these similar arguments coming from the abortion uh, crew and abortion movement at this time when they tell us, or, you know, for those of us who are pro-life, we're, we're, we're trying to enslave women, we're trying to colonize women's bodies, you know, they're using this very charged language yeah. and trying to get us to back down a bit because they're using language that should make us ashamed. You know, we don't want to enslave women. But this, was, this was one of the first times I heard it. You know, in that yeah, way, yeah. this woman is saying, I've been to Africa and I've talked to people and, and yeah, I think if you say you don't want abortion, you're kind of enslaving women or you're called, you're the one who's colonizing women and mind you. Yeah, I, I, my, yeah. I remember uh, on many occasions, I would say something about, uh, you know, I would uh, state my opposition to abortion and the way yes. they would respond to me is, you want to kill women? Yes. Is that what you want to do? <laughs> And it's like, what are you, you know, so that's exactly what you're talking about. That's how yes, they you, twist everything around you and make that's make right. it seem like we're the bad guys. Yes. And they use all the charged language, isn't it? Because yeah. you don't want to kill women and you don't want women to die. And, you know, so, but but it, that also shows you how insidious this movement is and, and how crafty they are. So it's it was interesting that this woman throws this question or such a question like this. I'm talking about neocolonialism. And the fact that this is what goes on when when we're talking of funding and trying to help to improve the outcomes of pregnancy and keeping women safe during pregnancy and improving maternal health care. And she's saying to me, oh, well, you say colonialism, but actually you're the one who is colonialistic. Th those were yeah. sort of her words. So it was absolutely, um, you know, I'm so grateful somehow that that on the spot I, I I could then think about this this particular approach of answering because it is true where I come from we have even up to our language there's nothing more basic than a person's language because really if you think about it your language is what you think of in your mind like when I think I am somehow thinking in my own native tongue and my own native language and so when you go down to someone's original language it's not like the English language that keeps getting changed and edited every day right so yeah we think we think of something <laughs> that we didn't have or talk about like five years ago and now all of a sudden that is now the only way that you know the Oxford dictionary is referring to that thing online or whatever they keep editing it to match uh, current sentiments but in some languages like mine the Igbo language 
the language is set in stone. That's right. That's <laughs> so right. I thank God that somehow I am, you know, I come from a tradition and and an upbringing that has my language as part of my life, as part of my my own psychology. That is what lies at the background of everything I do, right? I I think in my language, I pray in my language, and then when I when I'm reflecting on things, I I have the the benefit of my language right there yes with english language and then then i try to find out how i can what i know and what i've learned how i can then bring it forward to the situation i find myself in today or the society i find myself in today so that was really what i was trying to bring forward on and present on that very day saying that in my language yes there is no way to make abortion look any 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 cleaner than it actually is that that if you're talking about abortion or thinking about abortion it always is a kind of killing you know it's a kind of I don't know if I've said this on this podcast but a couple of years ago not that long actually I think it was two years ago I was in Uganda and uh, one of my friends who's a doctor uh, and she does a lot of work in the rural parts, um, she was telling me that whenever she's uh, working with some of these rural women in villages and they start talking about abortion, they talk about abortion as a human sacrifice, you know? So so this is in in a village in Uganda where the women don't have that, the benefit of like, let's say Western education or this high um, way of expressing things, or, you know, these are women in a rural village and they talk about abortion in whispers, like, oh, she sacrificed her baby. And they don't mean sacrifice, like I made a sacrifice of my time or no, they mean like human sacrifice. So you can see that the more you get, the closer you get to the roots of a lot of these African languages and traditions, the more you can see abortion for what it really is, because then you can expose it for what it truly is. It's the killing of a baby. It's not just the, the smooth or 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 clean, quote unquote, killing of a child. Yeah. It's the fact that you're going to be beheading that child, decapitating that child. You know, in many times you're dismembering that child, depending on the size of the baby. Um, if you're doing a medical abortion, well, you're going to be thinking about it as far as what it really is, as cutting of nutrition, poisoning that child. For the child to die, something has to happen. That's and right. many times... It is not clean. It is not pretty. So the fact that Western, you know, some of these Western elites can come forward and and it's all like nice, you know, they talk about abortion like choice, reproductive rights, you know, they can clean it up as far as they want, as much as they want. But let's go down to what it really truly is. So it was it was uh, interesting that um, that I I had the opportunity to to say that in such a forum um, and to somebody who I knew she was kind of preparing for a fight, mind you, what people don't know is that before this question question and answer session, we had all given great presentations of what I thought was non-controversial presentations. We were, Dr. Wally had spoken, Archbishop Auza had spoken, Maria Madis, I think, had spoken, I had spoken, and all we're saying is, Women need clean water. Well, what about giving us more healthcare uh, uh, staff? What about in, uh, us thinking about improving our health facilities? Um, you know, helping African governments to think in a in a more in a more specific way or more particular way on how to protect women in pregnancy. 
everything we were saying, Matt, it seemed to me non-controversial. We're just saying, yeah. you know, this is what we need and these are the things that have worked. You know, can we just talk more on these issues? So you could see, you know, if you're watching that video, the people who were sitting around her, it seemed to me like they already were there for a fight and, and they, they were preparing for the one thing, which was the only thing that they were going to focus on. And that's, if you don't want to give abortion to people, then you're the one who is colonialistic about it. So, yeah, so it's interesting. <laughs> and I hope more people get to listen to that kind of exchange and that we get to have more of those exchanges at forums and fora that matter on platforms where it's actually relevant and where it matters. That's what I, you know, that's what I'm hoping for. That's right. And you know what? Um, in the in the audio that we just played, you probably heard that when she was asking her question, she was getting a, a bit of applause, right? And yes. if you look at the video, you see that it's mainly the the, the pro-abortion feminists around her that are like that applauding her. Yeah. Uh, but when you gave your response, and then uh, even Dr. Wally had a response, and yes. Maria responded, uh, the whole room erupted in cheers and applause, which is a huge indicator of of really the what people believe in. And even yes. those who come to the UN, the activists, uh, you know, and it wasn't just a, a, a room full of NGOs. There were uh, government officials there. Oh, there were yeah. delegates Diplomats. There, yeah, diplomats. And delegates. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that uh, an overwhelming majority of the room uh, agreed with your message yeah. is, I think, a very hopeful message. And and like you said, it is human sacrifice. And, uh, you know, about I, I just wanted to mention this uh, when you're speaking about language and how. Uh, in your tribe and in so many cultures uh, and communities uh, throughout the African continent, uh, there is no, you, you can never say, uh, you can never define abortion as something that is good. It is always yeah. going to be something that is bad. Yeah. I think that's actually a very much a very universal truth that yes. all languages, like all cultures have. And mm -hmm. I think the best example of that is that, uh, you know, 30, 40 years ago, when abortion was starting to become legalized, when it was starting to become normalized in society, mm. Mm. people pushing for the decriminalization of abortion, they realized that we have to redefine it as something that is good because the majority of the population, they kind of like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to talk about that. That's not good. That let's, let's not bring this up because they all know that intrinsically this is evil. It is yes. human sacrifice. Yes. And that is why you have this whole war over words. All yes. of a sudden, it becomes pro-choice. Pro -choice. All of a That's sudden, right. it becomes reproductive freedom, you know, yes. the right to choose. Yes. And I think your response, the way you responded to that is you brought everyone in the room back to the core issue here, yes. which is abortion is wrong. It will always be wrong. And it has always been wrong. Right? That is true. That well put, Matt. Amen. I think I should do. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, if anyone wants to hire me for a speaking gig, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I could do these quick one to two minute rants, and then that's, uh, it. And that's about it. That's about it. <laughs> yes, but uh, I think we're gonna have to wrap things up, Uju. Uh, this has been uh, a very good episode. Uh, thank you yes. for the what you've been able to uh, inform our viewers about. That comparison between Egypt and Sierra Leone, I think, is is so valuable. Yeah. And we will include in our show notes uh, below our episode in the description, we will have links. Uh, first and foremost, if you want to watch the full event that we put on together with uh, the Holy See, 
And, and I believe Spuck was part of that and Madagascar yes. International was part of that. Yes, and of course, Culture right. of Life Africa was part of that. Yeah, uh, We will have that link up there. It's on the UN website. You can watch it. It's about an hour and a half. Very valuable information. Yeah. Uh, we will also have uh, some other resources up there. Um, and um, and Uju, I just, before we conclude, I, I do, yes. maybe this might take a few more minutes, but if, if you were to, uh, let's say it's a general assembly at the United Nations, and for some miraculous reason, the secretary general says, I would like Obinuje Keocha to go and speak to all government officials from the podium about maternal health care and how we can solve the world's problems when it comes to maternal mortality. And if you had like one minute, oh, what would you say if you had oh that, my goodness. that opportunity? Okay. I'll say thank you for giving me the opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> but... This is something, this problem of maternal health care is something that can be tackled quite um, in a very defined way, in a way that actually generates results. You would see things improving once things are put in place. The one thing that I would encourage governments to improve on or think on would be something like the your national blood, uh, blood services. So I know that many people don't really think or talk about that, but if, if you have a functional and effective national blood services, women can in fact get emergency blood transfusions during birth because that is one killer during pregnancy and during birth is the you know postpartum hemorrhage or pre uh, antepartum hemorrhage or prepartum hemorrhage so handle that that particular problem you will see a huge improvement think about maternal nutrition the fact that many women do not have access to good food or food that will be that would actually help to improve their health that within the first 1000 days of life even nih the national institute of health talks about it in an article i'm hoping matt that you're going to to put because we yes, don't have a lot of time to talk about it the nutrition that a child gets in the first 1000 days of of life and that my dear friends includes from conception even the national institute of health says the first 1000 days is really from time of conception to the second birthday the fact that the mother has to be well fed or eating the right kinds of nutrition during pregnancy in order to set things right from the get-go the fact that even just before delivery the woman has to be on a proper diet the fact that following birth as well that the baby should be should be should be on the right kind of nutrition through breastfeeding as well as then subsequently the kind of food that will be given when you know within the first uh, few months of life so all of those things help in setting the development and health of a child um the fact that also we need proper and adequate healthcare facilities and systems also that we need the right skilled workers health care professionals in every community in every society you know to to give people the right access to to basic healthcare, which they need in, in, in the right time, which is, you know, during, in this case, in the case of time of pregnancy. So giving prenatal care, giving uh, postpartum care, those are actually really, really important. And I think that you don't have to be a rocket scientist or even a specialist doctor to be able to, to determine that, that if these are provided, then you would see direct outcomes, direct improvements in maternal health care around the world. So I would encourage everyone to kind of take this particular issue on board because yes, we are pro-life and even that the fact that we are pro-life, we should go out and make people to understand that what we want is not just a matter of quote unquote, as they, as they 
accuse us forcing women to give birth is the fact that we really care for the health of the woman, for the health of the baby. And we want this to work. We really want people to be able to approach this in a healthy manner that, that, and, and be champions for women's health care. Cause at the moment, what we have globally, dear friends, it's, it's actually, you know, it's a travesty. 300,000 women dying every year through childbirth or during childbirth um, is something that we have to tackle, but it doesn't mean that we're going to go out and say, let women not have children. No, we can actually have a society where women are giving birth, delivering and, and doing it in a healthy way, just by us putting a few good things in place. That's right. I was going in, in good old fat UN fashion. I was going to cut you off after the minute mark, but because you were, uh, what you're saying is just uh, pure truth bombs. I, I, I allowed you to continue. Would you say? Thank you're you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think um, there's so much to say. We've only just scratched the surface on this issue, yeah. uh, but I think, you know, and I hate the, I hate the, I don't like using the word empowering because I feel like it's been completely hijacked by <laughs> the feminists, but the truth is, if my, my my final reflection on this current on this particular issue is, if you want to reduce maternal mortality, yes. we need to empower motherhood, yes. not eliminate it. Oh, you yes. know that that's oh, and yes. you know that's kind of a bit of a slogan there, but I think there, we have the resources out there, we have the funding. Mm -hmm. If only we had the political will. Yes. Then we would reduce maternal mortality. Uh, we would completely end maternal yes. mortality oh yes yeah so okay uju well uh wonderful this is it so uh, once again thank you all for joining us today on this episode uh, where we focused on maternal health care maternal mortality and the solutions to that if you have any comments or questions or feedback email us at focused on life podcast at gmail.com uh, if you want to listen to some of our previous episodes they're all up online on focused on life podcast.com and uh, you can find us and please subscribe to all whatever platform you use to uh, download your podcasts, Spotify, uh, iTunes, Apple, uh, Amazon Music. Uh, they're, they're everywhere. So uh, we're everywhere, rather. And uh, so, yeah. So uh, thank you again for listening. Uh, please send us your comments, your feedback, and uh, we'll see you soon. Uju, I'll leave it to you for the closing remarks. Oh, thank you, dear friends, for listening to us. And please stay focused on life.